Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Dan Newcomb. So first, let me thank you, Dan, for joining us and sharing your story, your experiences, and everything you're doing for our industry. Hey, Christy, thanks. It's great to be here. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I'm finally get on the, the podcast and uh, able to to share with you guys, with your audience as well. Yeah. Well, I think that what you're doing can benefit so many restaurateurs um, around our business, and you can provide some insights that maybe some of our listeners on the sales side or the corporate side are very removed from because we've been doing it for so long that maybe what you're doing to help these businesses in their early stages is so far removed from what we're doing that it'll kind of help us understand the, just the time, the labor, the work and the struggle that goes into this because we all know <laughs> especially in national accounts, that liquor licensing is a challenging foray for our business um, because every state is different, right? Right. Actually, every state, every single municipality is a little different. You know, in, in Massachusetts, as yeah. an example, where I'm where I'm based, the city of Boston, uh, the, you know, the city of Boston has some different rules and regulations than you'd see in one of the suburban towns. Um, you know, if uh, Newbury Street in the Back Bay of Boston, which most people that visit know the Back Bay, um, oh yeah, you wouldn't know that you wouldn't know it by walking up and down the street. But you can't dance in any of the restaurants or bars that have a liquor license. It's just a a thing. Um, so if somebody calls us, how very footloose. isn't that interesting? <laughs> somebody would, you know, a company will call and say, hey, we're interested in open. We have a a, a lease that we're interested in pursuing in the back bay, and and uh, we need a liquor license. And they'll say, and we dance and have music till late at night. And and uh, you know, I'm usually the first one to tell them, sorry, you can't do that over there. You might want to, you know, connect with your local licensing attorney and let's you know map it out first. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. here's Rando. I uh, was one of the members of the opening training team for the House of Blues right across from Fenway. Yeah. And I was doing all of the um, beverage programming for them. And we were training all of the bartenders nationally, but specifically in the foundation room on these new cocktails. There's Dan, technically, you can dance in a concert hall. So, and that's Back Bay. Well, that's that's is, not Back Bay. That's that's Kenmore Square, and Kenmore is down. Uh, Kenmore is down towards the colleges. So, and and that area over by Fenway, Lansdowne Street. Back in the day, that was yeah. they were trying to keep all the entertainment, you know, away from the neighborhoods, and they, you know, they thought that one of the best places to do it was the Fenway. So that's why you see Patrick Lyons has all those restaurants. He's had, you know, a number of different clubs up and down that street over the years. But that's primarily where the nightclubs have been in Boston over the years or in Kenmore Square. Interesting. Yeah. See, I always thought it was Back Bay. Yeah. So because the, obviously I'm not from there. I mean, my sister lives in the Boston area, but I, yeah. Yeah. So this, I, I didn't know that. Ken, Kenmore is just outside Back Bay. So you'd be going, if you go up Commonwealth Ave, there's a, a, a bridge and a little creek, and it's just on the mm -hmm. other side of that starts Kenmore Square. And it's, it's in, in Massachusetts or in Boston, as an example, the, uh, every neighborhood group 
the the politicians like to run the city by you know through the neighborhood groups. So uh, okay. if if you want to open up in the Back Bay, you'd have to go meet with the Back Bay Association to mm. get their blessing and their support before they'll support you before the Boston Licensing Board. So there's a lot of a lot of time, but the first the I'm usually the first contact outside of a um, you know a, a real estate agent. They come to me and say, "Hey, we're interested in a license, and this is where we want to go." Yeah, so it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Is, yeah, and I know, like, uh, an East Coast tends to have a lot more of those um, semi-control and control states, where you know you're just you're really dealing with a lot of extra entities. Yes, compared to like a completely open state like Nevada yeah. or Arizona, you know where. It's a little bit more lax, but serving in national accounts for my six, seven, eight, yeah, I don't even know how many years I was in national accounts, but it was very fascinating. Like, and it was a challenge because I would land a brand in a national account and I was like, yay, big win, big win for everybody in the company. And then I would have to navigate all the control state pricing all of our challenges so that is that it's really interesting that there's literally like almost a line in the street yeah in boston so I, um, I, I, at last count i think there was there's 18 states that operate under a quota where there's a very limited amount of licenses and massachusetts i can tell you that massachusetts uh the, the mass general law uh, 138 which is the liquor license law has been in place since prohibition and mm-hmm. you know it's very old school here, and there's been a lot of tri- a lot of attempts to change it and and uh, to modernize how things operate in Massachusetts. But the politicians, it's it's very political. It's uh, they don't yeah. they don't want to go out yeah. and change things and hurt people that are playing you know playing by the rules that they've been playing by. Yeah, so, but no, that's that's why I have I think that's it's a political. That's that's my you know the reason that I do what I do is because there were so many people that were trying to navigate that and just had no idea where to go and so because of my restaurant background and my brokerage background I knew the attorneys that did this so I could jump in and help companies navigate the liquor license laws and and find space that was suitable for them to do what they wanted to do. That's. It, it. That's wonderful that for you to see an opportunity and take advantage of it, not only to help yourself as a business owner, but to help others. Yeah, um, and, well, and that kind of, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's funny because when we were talking earlier, the um, you know I'm always looking at the you know I'm always looking at the restaurant business, saying where is there a need, where is there something that's missing that I could you know create. So I actually came in and created this niche. In the, in the Massachusetts marketplace that didn't exist before. There was no such thing as a liquor license broker in Massachusetts. There's a few nationally that have dealt with the chains, but around here, no one had ever heard. It was always the attorneys that did the work on it. But it wasn't efficient, yeah. and things weren't moving well, and, and yeah. I saw and that. And it's very expensive. They're very too. expensive. You know, before, before COVID, a Boston all-alcoholic beverage license was selling for $450,000. Now with wow. COVID, you know, COVID, you know, there's a lot of availability. I sold one for $210,000 two weeks ago. Interesting. So it's been a very big shift. And, you know, COVID's very, very challenging. And, uh, you know, we talked yeah. about it as a team the other day. How can we, you know, how can we support the industry the best? What's the best way for us to do that? So, 
on Tuesday, I was I did a uh, I w- was involved with the um, the state legislature. I appeared before this, the uh, the board that handles liquor licenses to try and find a way to help restaurants maintain their licenses even if they close down because it, it's if, yeah. you, if you step back, you know these these guys. I've got one guy that's he has eight restaurants and he's got you know three hundred three million dollars tied up in liquor licenses. That was his retirement. Right. And so with these, with the prices dropping, you know, he's concerned that if things don't rebound quickly, that he's going to lose that, you know, the the state will take those licenses away if he's not using them. So we're proposing, and I don't, yeah. How does that benefit anyone? It it doesn't, it doesn't. So we, you know, we, we, we met the legislators don't have a very good handle on how to help restaurateurs right now. Restaurateurs are really struggling and, People don't know how to help them, but one of the things we think that yeah. we can have some influence on is, is uh, you know, changing that law. So in Massachusetts, we'll let them hold on to their licenses for a couple years until things bounce back, and then they can either reopen or you know find a buyer for their license. Yeah. God. Oh, I mean, this is a hot mess. It's yeah, a lot. There's a right? lot to this right now. This is a hot mess. There is. There is, and there's. There's limited ways to help because not only is it a federal issue, um, it's a global issue, but it's also like a local market issue. It's a state and county issue. I mean, there is no one in our business that's like, yeah, we're good. This is awesome. And that sucks because until this happened, everybody was doing well. Everybody was healthy. And but we know from being in this business that our margins don't sustain us long term in the best of times. Right. And our margins really hurt us when everything goes down. And that's why we see these crazy discounting programs coming out, um, advertising to people just to get butts and seats where like you get you know, three entrees for $12 or something nonsensical like that. And I'm like, wow, that's easily $8 in food cost. Mm-hmm. How are you doing this? That's not even sustainable. Mm-hmm. You're just going to hope that they order something. But the people that are coming in for discounted meals are also not spending money in the bar. And we all know that the bar is what keeps the business flowing. Right. That's the bar. And people complain about the prices of drinks, but the same time like how much do you want to eat and drink out because if you don't pay those prices in the bar you're never going to get the food you're not going to get the experience the Mm -hmm. business doesn't exist unless one margin makes up for another and you know we're always talking about like the rising cost of poultry or pork or eggs or corn or whatever it is right and every variable in our food system directly impacts our restaurateurs Mm -hmm. and just because they're big doesn't mean they're immune but oh my god we know that the smaller they are the less immunity they have and it's a very scary proposition but i want to circle back um to what you said about your trajectory like going from like a broker and everything because there's there's there is an internal process there. And I want you to talk about that because that may have been your path to inspiration because I always ask people like, 
How did you discover what inspired you to what you're doing today? And that may have been your past. And if I'm wrong, correct me and fill us in. But I, I want you to touch on that and go to that. Yeah, so it's my path. So when I when I, I was a little kid, my dad had a chain of 26 restaurants in the Boston area. He was a baker by trade, and he opened up a little muffin shop in 1965 and grew that to 26 restaurants throughout Boston, uh, Harvard Square, uh, Park Street, which is right by the State House, uh, Causeway Street, which was right next to Boston Garden, all throughout the city and the, and the suburbs. And, um, you know, so I was a, a young kid and I was hanging, my, my parents were both working. So I was in the restaurant when I was two years old, year and a half, two years old, just crawling around on the floor. That's what my parents had to do to, to, you know, to, uh, to take care of us. So I, I grew up in the business and, uh, I ended up, I have, you know, a bunch of brothers and sisters, but wow. I ran the chain for my dad after I got out of college. So there's a lot of, you know, it's 14 was my first full-time summer job, uh, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, opening up one of the restaurants, but I needed a summer job. So it was great. You know, it was good for me, but I was working the line, you know, cooking bacon, eggs, and omelets when I was 14. And, and I did that until I was 36. Hashtag. Yeah, cheap child labor. Hashtag cheap child labor. But we, uh, you know, we had a good thing. We had, you know, I, I wow. it, was our, it was my lifestyle. And it was my family, you know, my whole well, family yeah. was involved in it. And yeah. everybody had a role. And, you know, one of my brothers drove the delivery truck that delivered muffins from our commissary to the stores, you know, the stores around the, the city. But, um you know, so I did that for a lot of years, and it, it was interesting. I had a um, a customer came in. We used to have a lot of, you know, famous customers. I met Larry Bird and, and Bobby Orr and all those guys in the city. But in one of our suburban units, uh, Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block, those guys were from the neighborhood. And uh, him and his other, him and Jordan and Jonathan and uh, Joey, they used to come in all the time. And Donnie and I decided to partner up, and we, it's funny, we purchased a Howard Johnson restaurant, which was one of the original Howard Johnson restaurant in Canton, Massachusetts. And Donnie and I were business partners. So Donnie was doing Band of Brothers, and it, he, he lost interest at some point. Um, and we started to look at the market and uh, try to sell the business. We hired a restaurant broker. And that's how I got into the restaurant brokerage business, by working with this gentleman to help sell the restaurant Donnie and I had. And then for the next 10 years, I was involved selling independent restaurants in Boston. I think the, we got up as high as 1,620 restaurants over the course of 10 years. Wow. That's one. I'm a huge New Kids fan. That was one of the con, uh, concerts step. I ever went to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's, that's funny. I didn't know he was ever a Hojo owner. Yes, yeah, so he he probably kept it pretty quiet. Now him and his brother Mark, Mark and Paul. It was actually the whole family. We had him involved at some point, but uh, Paul, Mark, Donnie, and the mother have a uh, Wahlburgers now. They have their own burger joint. I've eaten there, and I've also eaten at Alma's. Yep. Um, yeah, it's. It, I love those burgers. I love that chain. Yeah, so we we had a lot of fun with it. We we had a, there were a few years that we did it. So how did you go from 
so it's it's actually uh, what happened was I put my last twenty thousand bucks in uh, to fund a renovation that we were going to do. We were scheduled to close on a Monday and uh, do a renovation. And when we closed the restaurant, I got a call from Donnie and his his business partner, and they said, um, you know, we we've decided that we're going to take an offer uh, versus. Um, um, versus run the business. We don't want to go through with the renovation. So we're going to take this offer. And, and I said, okay, that's fine. So uh, a couple of weeks later, they called back and said the offer, it didn't, it didn't go through. So we need to hire a business broker to sell the restaurant. Would you work with him and help him sell the restaurant? Because Donnie was in England with Steven Spielberg and he wasn't around. So my role, I was on the ground. That was my job. And uh, so I worked hand in hand with the restaurant broker to help him sell off the restaurant. And uh, at the end of the transaction, the the guy came to me and said, hey, uh, you're really good at this. Would you like to learn how to be a, uh, a restaurant broker? And I held this guy in very high regard. He's the type of business person that was looked up to by attorneys, accountants, and was a professional witness in divorce cases that, you know, uh, that restaurants were involved in. So I, uh, he, he mentored me uh, for a few years and uh, I started doing some restaurants, some small restaurant. In, I think the first one I did was a sandwich shop in Plymouth, Massachusetts, which was a little dive. And it was my first restaurant sale. And that led to, um, you know, getting calls i started competing with my with my mentor and we we used to joke about it he'd get some and i'd get I'd, he'd beat me on some listings and i'd beat him on some but um you know ended up that the attorneys that we were using to do these restaurant transactions specialized in restaurants and liquor licenses and in 2009 when the economy started failing i was getting calls from the attorneys as well as banks saying hey we you know we're foreclosing on a restaurant uh, we need you to sell the liquor license. So I got, that's how I broke into the liquor license business. And uh, yeah, so that's, it's, it's been really, really interesting in, in a sense that, yeah. uh, you know, I know what's going on before anybody else, you know, any of the restaurants or the hotels that open in Boston, I'm involved a year or two years ahead of time. So it's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of fun to know what's going on before anybody else. Void. Right? Where's there a space in the in the restaurant business or the bar business? Where's there a void that someone's not filling? And the liquor, because liquor license is so confusing, and attorneys don't have the time. You know, they don't want to spend the billable hours to try and figure things yeah. out. So we, you know, we we saw that space and we said, let's create a brand that we can put in here and, and uh, you know provide service to the mm-hmm. not only the sellers but the attorneys as well. So uh, you know, we try to you know, provide them as much information as we can and make their job as easy as they can so they can deliver great service to the client, who, whether they be a, a national restaurant chain, an independent or a hotel or a bar or nightclub for that matter. Okay. You know, I went years without making a lot of money and I was fortunate that, you know, I had a, I had a house and, and I had three little kids and a wife that worked and we just, there were times that, you know, I had to spin back the electric meter to pay the bills, but I knew that there was, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel that what I was doing was, um, you know, it was worthwhile and it was going to pay off. And, you know, here we are 10 years later and, uh, you know, we're doing just fine. You know, unfortunately COVID's COVID's throwing a wrench in everything. It's, it's, you know, it, 
It is affecting everybody from, you know, my brother still has yeah. two of my dad's 26 restaurants and he's in Massachusetts. Uh, he's serving outside right now. And, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, everyone's struggling here right now, but, uh, we're doing our best to see if we can help, you know, protect the values of the licenses and, and be there for people that, you know, we've serviced for the last 10, oh, you know, yeah. 12, 15 years. Yeah. So they have something to return to, right? Cause it, it doesn't, I mean, restaurants going out of business for our industry, it doesn't make sense for our national economy either. And that's, I think what people are failing to recognize is that if, your restaurants that you patronize go right. out of business because they can't afford to stay in business. You have fewer places to spend your dollars, even if you might be saving those dollars right now. It just means that there's going to be less options for you. And, and, and they have to cut costs just to stay in business. And it's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to the customers. It's not fair. And, to and the, I think, the I think staff. what you're going to see, you know, owners. coming up over the next, you Anybody. know, six, 12, There's 18 no months, I think you're going like to see a seismic right shift in, in the restaurant business and the bar business. Because I think that, you know, as, as the PPP money, um, you know, gets spent and used up, you know, a lot of the restaurants that are open now have taken PPP money and brought help back in because that's the, you know, the uh, requirement of the PPP money is to keep people working. But I think once that all goes away, and I know in Boston, you know, the colleges, they're not, do, a lot of the colleges aren't doing in-person teaching. It's, it's going to be online. It's going to shift. And I, and I think that, you know, I read an article the other day that they're uh, suggesting that 60% of independent restaurants yeah. won't reopen. And that's staggering. The restaurant business as we've, you know, what, what oh, was going, you know, what we saw in November, figure. December and, you know, chugging into January. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is. People didn't have a chance to recover. Typically in, in New England, at least in the North, the Northeast, you know, you get into Valentine's Day is the start of a new cycle where cash starts coming in, right? So you have the holiday, you know, through through New Year's Eve, then it's, you live off your gift certificate money as an operator, and then you have Valentine's Day as yeah. your first holiday. And in, in Massachusetts, we had that, but we did not have St. Patrick's Day, which is another big holiday, or Mother's Day, yeah. and uh, or Easter, and... Um, I, I think that it's I think it's going to be interesting no. to see how this plays out. It's it's a shame, mm -hmm. uh, but I I really I just you know clients are calling me every day saying what do I do and it's I don't have an answer. I don't have you know I don't have any great uh, advice to give them other than um, you know we're doing the best we can to protect the value of your liquor license. That's all we can do at this point. I just don't know where else to turn or what else I can do. I, I understand that. I mean, exactly. as a consultant to the industry, I also don't have any answers. I'm just I'm doing the best with the information that I have and trying to make a difference. Yeah. But it's very hard to make a difference when people mm -hmm. are struggling just to keep their doors open. And that is a very sad state of affairs. Um, because when you think even a right. small restaurant that's, you know, privately held mom and pop restaurant, they're still employing like 50 people at least. And that's a lot of families that are going to hurt if that. And I think that's what people mm -hmm. don't understand about this. Like people that aren't in our business, there's that lack of insight 
And it's nothing against the main consumer. It's just they don't understand how much goes into it. Because they only see, like, you know, a handful of servers walking the floor, maybe a bus or two, maybe a host or two, and a manager circling. They don't see the work that goes into this, and they don't right. understand and, and the not labor. Just, not just there, but outside the restaurant. What about the the produce delivery, the produce delivery tables. company, or the coffee um, companies, or the, you know, the um, uh, the dishwasher repair company? You know, all the other jobs that are associated. You know, Toast is the the POS system that most a lot of restaurants use now. They just had a huge layoff. Mm-hmm. You know, the enormous. Yeah. Toast is it? Toast is it? Yeah. I know that everybody's affected by this, and and uh, uh, typically uh, we'd see, we'd have fifteen or twenty uh, starts in play. We'd have fifteen or twenty uh, oh. restaurants in development that would open up in September, October. Um, typically, you know, uh, uh, the licensing side is about a six-month lead time. So if you want to open up in September, you really have to have yeah. your lease done in December, uh, your licensing started in March, and then you're ready to go in September. And we're not going to have that this year. Yeah. And, and there's no demand. No. August, early September, we see all the college kids and their families coming back in, and the Red Sox mm-hmm. are pounding away, and, you know, all the sports team and the Patriots and all that. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a ghost town. I know. It's it's interesting just because here in Texas, we're surging now. I mean, we are now where you guys were on the East Coast a few months ago. And we've changed everything. And we did all of the things. But we did them for so long before right. maybe we needed to. I don't know. Um, we'll never know the truth of like what was the best practice. Because I, I do believe that every single legislator made the best decision for their municipality or their county or their government for the state or federally. I do believe they tried to make the best decision that was available to them. But at the end of the day, there was no right decision. It's just right. a cluster of epic proportions that we can't control, no matter how good our intel is. Mm-hmm. And... Texas is weird right now because our kids are only going to online school in our county, but the universities are going to open within school. And I'm like, wait, so you're telling my, my, my kid that's going into kindergarten can't go to a classroom and actually learn. And I have to like manage a six year old, Mm -hmm. like sitting in front of a computer for six to eight hours a day, but college students who could easily do it online are able to go to a class. Like seriously, in what world does that make? I think sense? I think is that the the positive outlook here is that you know restaurant operators are very resilient people, and um, and I think that you know there is going to be at some point there's going to be a the, the cloud is going to be lifted. There's going to be a vaccine or something's going to come up, and I think that you're going to see a lot of the experienced restaurant operators and new ones. I think that there's going to be a, you know there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity for people to open new new restaurants and find new space and you know maybe it puts the landlords in check a little bit and keeps the cost down a little so it's it's definitely going to shift but the fact is that people still want to go out to eat you know and once this clears up people are going to want to resume a social life and you know my wife and I have been out to eat exactly once since March in in Boston and uh, you know we miss it we miss it a lot 
I'm sick of doing dishes. I'm not cooking. I'm doing dishes and I'm really not having fun doing dishes, but you know, I think yeah, that absolutely. I think it's going to change because people want to, people want to be together, you know, and right now we're all divided, you know, politically that's a different story, but we're all divided and separate and all hibernating in, in our little cocoons yes. and our little safety and our little nest. Everyone's tired of it. And I think, again, I think that the, you know, yeah. restaurateurs are yeah, very and resilient. And I think that We've been doing when, when there months. is an opportunity and a safety net or it's safe for them to do it, I think you're going to see a lot of new openings and a lot of really create, I think it's going to be a lot more creative and a lot more um, uh, cutting edge food that you're going to see out there. I think that's going to be really fun. You know, and I'm looking forward to it. I really do. I think that people are going to get real creative and uh, take opportunities and take risks and do things that they didn't that yeah. they didn't do before. It was the same thing. Everyone was just trying to one up each other. But I think it's going to change. I, I see it. I hope so. I, I would I would like to believe that you're correct, too, in that assessment, because that is the best positive outcome of, you know, everything we have available to us from information that's coming in. But it's it's fascinating, but mm -hmm. it's a mess that people are working through, and they're doing it by banding together, banding resources, and creating a new normal. And I right. know that term is overused, but at the end of the day, it's never going to look like what it was just you know ten months ago for the foreseeable future. Right. It will eventually. We all know this. Like everything is not going to shrivel up and die. There's still humans involved and humans as a nature, we don't shrivel up and die when faced with adversity, we evolve and overcome. Yeah. And, right? and, I, and I don't think it's going to, I think if you, I don't think people are going to be like to get back to where it was. I think it's going to go somewhere different. You know, I think that it's going to go somewhere better and it's people, restaurateurs are going to be smarter and the menus are going to be smarter and the economics of a restaurant are going to be smarter. Because I think people have learned a lot and they're really learning, you know, they're really learning how, um, you know, how to manage a restaurant on a shoestring budget and satisfy customers and make them as happy as they can on a shoestring because the volume is not there. They just, they need to do the best they can. But I, th I think that we're going to see, a, I think we're, I think once this clears up and there's a green light in, a, in some runway, I think we're going to see some pretty interesting things happen in the restaurant business. So I'm optimistic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. No, I agree with you. It'll be like a renaissance. Yeah, exactly. Right? right. It's just different than what it was before, but it's better in so many ways. Yeah. It's just a matter of how we perceive it, right? Because perception is reality. Exactly. So we perceive it to be better than it was, and that's how we move forward. But um, before we end, because I'm so grateful for this, and, and you've put up with all of our technical difficulties today, but I want uh, you to tell everybody how to reach you because uh, there are going to be restaurants that need what you do. So please, this self-promote away. <laughs> so my, my company is called Liquor License Advisor. The uh, best way to reach us is through our, our website. It's LLAUSA.com. And we can help uh, anybody that has a liquor license or a restaurant question for that matter. I'm, you know, I think that in this day and age, you have to give and you have to be available for people to, you know, we want to help people out through this. This is, you know, we've been, the restaurant industry has been very good to me and my family over the years. And, uh, you know, um, 
you know, my business right now, I'm on it. I twisted a little bit and we sell a lot more liquor stores and package stores and things like that right now. So my business is still okay. But that, you know, the, um, the liquor license side, if, if you have a liquor license and have some questions, anybody can feel free to call me. And if I don't have an answer, I have, I'm very resourceful and I have a very good network of attorneys and, uh, liquor license people around the, around the country. So I'm happy to help any, any of you, any of you listeners that need a hand. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. I love that. That's, that's like giving away a free gift. That's amazing. You're, Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I, I greatly appreciate your patience, your openness, your personal history that you've shared and the storytelling. I, it's been wonderful. Thank you. So thank you for my, giving my pleasure. Time. My pleasure. This is great. And it's just, you know, I wish everyone the best. And it's if, if, um, you know, people are having a hard time, there's a, there's a brighter day ahead and it's, uh, you just have to, you know, we know that there is, and it's just going to take, it may take us a little time to get there, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard to see that it's hard to see where it's going, but it's going to go somewhere. It is. Let's just hope it goes somewhere. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We know it's definitely going somewhere from here because this is not how it ends. Yeah. Um, so how do we continue? And not just in the hospitality space, but in front of our nation, in front of the world. How do right. we overcome, right? How do we show that we're humanity, we stand together, we persevere? So I, I really appreciate your insights, your knowledge, and, uh, and the offer to help people in our book. So thank you again. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Lawler Out Loud, mixing up the mainstream.